All right, good to see you all here tonight. Let me uh, start by opening in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, once again, we rejoice in you. We thank you, Lord, so much for your great love and the grace which you extended to us through Jesus Christ, our blessed Lord and Savior. We thank you for Jesus, for his great work of redemption on our behalf, on it's our substitute, Lord. We thank you for that love. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your spirit that abides within us, that leads and guides and uh, protects us, secures us. And Lord, we pray that your spirit indeed would continue to help us grow in our faith. As we look into your word tonight, Lord, we pray that indeed we would be blessed by by it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. (coughs) All right. There you go. All right, as uh, is our normal custom, please uh, put yourself on mute to kill all the background noise. If you have any comment or question at any time, just, uh, you know, chime right on in. Bring yourself in, all right? So tonight, uh, this is uh, the, the, the last night of our official tour uh, of the Book of Job. So I'm going to invite you to come on to the bus and to, uh, get your seats as we go through the last chapters. Uh, verse 38 through 42. And it's here that uh, God finally breaks his silence and addresses Job. Now, uh, in the last few chapters, we were listening to the speeches of Elihu. Uh, we saw that his, uh, he made two emphases that made, uh, that he made, uh, uh, to Job's chronic questioning. Uh, anyone remember the two emphases that he made? If not, then let me refresh your memory. Two important contributions. And the first one, and the unique one, in the book came when he was, uh, talked about how that uh, suffering can be instructive. In chapter 36, verse 15, he speaks to them in their affliction. And we talked a little bit about how many times the voice of God uh, is loud in our pain. Uh, C.S. Lewis said he shouts to us in our pain and while he whispers to us in our uh, the good times. And uh, that's a deep lesson in and of itself. And when we go through struggles and particularly suffering and pain, uh, we often ask, uh, you know, God, what are you trying to teach me? Is this, is what lesson, what, what are you digging down to find? What, what do I need uh, to to look at myself because sometimes when things are going really well we have no need to look deep and uh, you know God may be wanting to bring us to uh, to a higher plane but the only way to do that is through suffering and pain and uh, so that was the major emphasis and then of course Elihu once again brings out the fact of God's sovereignty and that God is altogether above and beyond man and this is a kind of a recurring theme that we've been hearing throughout the book. You know, from, uh, from, uh, from 3622 all the way through the end of 3724, Elihu speaks, uh, uh, fluently about, uh, God's sovereignty, saying things like, uh, God is exalted in power. Remember to extol his works. Stop and consider God's wonders. So uh one of the uh one of the, the great reformed theologians, Dr. Herman Babnick, uh he was uh he wrote not only on theology but also on Christian politics and education and creation versus evolution, psychology and family. But he wrote his 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 magnum four volume reformed dogmatics, and writing at the turn of the last century. Uh, he stated this, he said that the 20th century will witness a gigantic conflict of spirits between the old and the new worldview. And Babnik foresaw the conflicts uh, between the powers of darkness and the kingdom of light that we are witnessing even today. And yet this very brilliant and yet humble man um, wrote in his book, The Doctrine of God, and he opens it with this line. 
It's a very powerful line, I thought. He says, mystery is the vital element of dogmatics. The believer cannot fully comprehend revealed truth. Mystery. We've mentioned aspects of God and his sovereignty, and mystery must be part of that. The Living Bible translates Isaiah 45:15. Truly, O God of Israel's Savior, you work in strange and mysterious ways. Have you ever said that about God? You, God works in mysterious ways. All right. And this, and this mystery, um, is, is the sense of incomprehensible wisdom, unfathomable majesty, indescribable awe. We just, as, as creatures, we just don't know everything about God. And even in his revealed word, uh, there's a sense of mystery. The latter part of Elihu's speech we saw was a beautiful declaration of, of God's mysterious ways and wonders. And it sort of sets the stage uh, for God himself, starting in chapter 38. Um, at this point, uh, we see, feel like, like Job has said everything he wanted to say. He has set his case. He has signed something, he says. He's ready. He sits back. And he's kind of saying to God, bring it on. There was a, uh, there was an episode of the, uh, of the honeymooners. Do you all remember the honeymooners? You guys who were old enough back in the fifties. It's a, it, it's comedy. If you don't, if you're not familiar with it, uh, starring Jackie Gleason as bus driver, Ralph Cramden and Art Carney as the sewer worker. Well, I remember this episode, uh, Ralph was going to enter a uh, a game show. Uh, name that tune. Remember that show? Game, name that tune. And he was going to win the big prize. And so he enlists Norton to play all sorts of tunes on the piano while he quickly shouts out the answers. He has great, great knowledge of all these tunes. But Norton, every time he sits down at the piano, if you remember, he plays a little jingle to warm up his fingers. And Ralph comes over and kind of smacks him. He says, will you come on? Let's get on with it. And okay. So Ralph goes on. He names everything really accurately. Well, a day arrives and Ralph gets on to the stage and named that tune. Of course, he's, he's almost paralyzed with fear. And uh, as a nervous contestant, he's sheepishly standing there. And they say, are you ready? And he says, yeah, yes, yes, I'm ready. And they play the first tune. And it's the tune that Norton is warming up on all the time. And it's the one tune he doesn't know what the name is <laughs> out of all these things. <clears throat> and, and his eyes bug out of his head, you know, as only Jackie Gleason can do. And, uh, and so he was eliminated at the first tune. And, uh, and, you know, no money whatsoever. And the tune happened to be way down upon the Swanee River. Um, but Ralph didn't get the first base or win the first, the, the big prize. And I think we'll see as we go through this, that's kind of what happened to Job. You know, he's, he was very confident. He's ready. All right. He's got, bring it on God. Okay. I'm ready with my defense here. And God starts. <laughs> And Job can't answer anything. Chapter 38 opens up. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions surely you know now all along we've been seeing that that job is asking the questions of god why god explain god and now that god speaks we might expect him to give job the answers the answers to the inquiries but god reverses the roles and becomes the inquirer 
he starts asking Job questions, to which Job has only one answer, no. On and on, God questions Job, and Job has no answer. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And it goes on through these chapters. Uh, Some say it's like 60 questions, 65 questions, and Job can't answer any of them. Most of the questions have to do with the creation, animals and weather and stars and galaxies. One commentator points out, just as Jesus told us to consider the lilies of the field, so the Lord is a friend who invites you to walk around his garden with him. God enjoys his world and he wants us to enjoy it with him. But it is only when God himself conducts the tour that the excursion is profitable. You ever go to the uh, botanical gardens in New York City or anywhere? You know, when I go there, I'm I'm not a botanist. I go there and I say, that's a pretty flower. That's about the extent of my botanical knowledge. All right. And I may enjoy the day roaming around, seeing the different colors and such. But it's only when you have an expert who can point out various things about the flowers that is it really profitable to go through the garden. I just saw on uh, Facebook the other day, there was a, I think it was an alum, A-L-U-M. It's this huge six-foot flower. The, the the bud is six foot, the flower, and uh, it blooms once every ten years. So all the people involved in botany want to make sure they're there for this. But the interesting thing about these flowers is that the fragrance is of uh, decaying flesh. It is hideous. Now, you wouldn't know that unless you were there at the 10-year mark and smelt this. But the reason for that is because flies, not bees, are the pollinators. So that the only way to attract flies is not with a sweet fragrance, but with rotting flesh. I mean, is God wonderful or what? And when God takes you through his garden and points out all these things that he's going to point out to Job, it's, it's amazing. And you say, oh. I didn't know that. Because God created everything. Let's face it, he knows everything. He knows how they work and how they are interrelated. You know, in a sense, God seems to be saying to Job that before you can get an answer to your question, you must know The whole picture. The whole situation and how all these things are related. How those events are related to a million more events. And that by my might and my sovereignty, I alone command. And that is just too much knowledge for us as creatures to comprehend. And that's exactly what Job says in chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. The Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. And then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, I will say no more. God has shut the mouth of Job. And in fact, before the Almighty, every mouth will be shut. In Romans 3.19, Paul speaks about sinners under the law, and he says, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. 
you know, sometimes you, you, you hear these people, you know, oh, when I see God, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. You know, I'm going to stand up and tell him this, that, or the other. Such arrogance. Pastor Bob, yes. um, it, Job's answer here that you just shared, I think is really a redeeming quality for Job. I think, I think it's based on his relationship that he's had with God all along that he recognizes First, that what God is saying to him is true and that he really, he really is, I don't know if you're going to say wrong. I want to say wrong, but he recognizes that before God, he is nothing. And I think that that's a very, that's a very admirable quality for Job. Shows a lot for him, you know, and it's built on his relationship. And I hope that when, when we get to heaven, that we'll have that same kind of, that same kind of, attitude towards God in his presence or maybe even now maybe now maybe not wait for heaven but I think it's a good attitude to have I think Job shows a good attitude here I don't know what you think what your thought is on that yeah no absolutely um you know I would agree with you I mean this (coughs) excuse me this is the right attitude to have before the almighty God all right um no one will be pleading a defense before the Almighty on the Day of Judgment. The only exception will be the believer in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 13, 15 states, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that openly profess his name. The only ones who are going to open their mouth in in the end times are, are believers who are praising the holy name of Jesus as their savior. As believers, we will open our mouths with eternal praise for his grace and our salvation. In chapter 40, verses 8 through 14, God turns the challenge on to Job. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Remember back in 196, Job said, then know that God has wronged me. So God asks, would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? Can you hear, can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them in the dust together. Shroud their face in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. And God gets a little tough with Job here. He said, who are you to speak? Can you do these things? Can you manage the the moral bearings of the universe and all of mankind? Can you clothe yourself in majesty and splendor? In your fury, can you take care of all the, the bad people in the world? And of course, Job is like, no, I can't, right? Hand over the mouth, no, no. No. And God says, if you can do all these things, then let's sit down and talk. And then he goes on. God continues. Then we come across um, two two creatures, two creatures here in uh, these latter chapters. The first is uh, behemoth. Behemoth in the Hebrew just means the beast. And, you know, we're always intrigued by things we don't know. Okay. And then, and, and this behemoth, uh, what was it? All right. Uh, was it a myth? Was it an elephant? Was it a hippopotamus? Was it a dinosaur? Or that it was also a recent beast fossil found. I'm just reading this article fossil found in Iran 
that uh, they feel fits this description here. Um, and if it was, it was the largest mammal uh, that God ever made for man's world. It was not a reptile. It was, it was like a, uh, they call it a, a hornless, long-legged rhinoceros, a, a mega rhinoceros <clears throat> that was uh, taller than a giraffe at the shoulder and over 20 tons. The size, the weight of three elephants. Now, was that the, was that the beast? I don't know. Perhaps, maybe. Well, maybe it was the elephant. Most people think, of, most scholars think it was a hippopotamus. You know, some people say, look at a hippopotamus and they say, it's an animal that was made by committee. You know, it's like, it just, all these things just don't fit. But the, the truth of the matter is that <clears throat> some of the descriptions fit, some of them don't. So we, we just don't know. The same thing can be say, said for Leviathan. Leviathan it means a sea monster. The Greek Septuagint translate a dragon. And much of the description of Leviathan seems to match that of a crocodile. But of course it's difficult in uh, uh, chapter 41.19 to ascribe to any known creature, quote, flames stream from its mouth, sparks of fire shoot out. Now, is that an accurate description, or is this, since it is wisdom literature, is this a poetic license? You know, David in the song, in, uh, excuse me, in Second Samuel uh, 22, 8 and following, he addresses God, and he writes, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried to my God, and he did hear my voice out of his temple, and my cry did enter into his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled, and the foundations of the heaven moved and shook because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils, and fire out of his mouth devoured. We seldom think of that of, as a picture of God, with smoke coming out of his nostrils and uh, fire coming out of his mouth to devour. So it could be poetic license in some of the descriptions of these animals. But I think the major fact is that Job must have known these creatures. Well, what was the point of God telling him of, of describing them? They would have, have to be the contemporaries of Job. Verse 15, look at behemoth, which I made along with you. So that makes dinosaurs and prehistoric creatures a long shot, at least. Even though every once in a while in the last century, fishermen have fished out uh, coelacanths from the Indian Ocean, prehistoric fishes that were supposedly extinct for a long time. But whatever these creatures are, they are used as examples of terrifying beasts of great strength, beyond man's capability of to subdue. But God can. But we just cannot be completely certain as to the identity of these animals. But perhaps the more in, in, intriguing questions are, why would God create such beasts or... What do these creatures possibly have to do with Job's suffering and pain? If you've been suffering with a terminal illness, you've been in the hospital and ICU for months on end, and I came in and I was going to comfort you, and I said, well, look at the hippopotamus. You can say, like, what in the world are you talking about? But the answer may be found in down in verses 10 and 11. No one is fierce enough to rouse it. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has a claim against me that I must pay? 
everything under heaven belongs to me. And in essence, in essence, God is saying, as we've heard this before, I am God and you are not. So this brings us to the uh, the final chapter, uh, chapter 42. And it opens with Job's confession. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job is satisfied. His vision of God has been expanded beyond all previous bounds. He never let go of God's sovereignty, but his vision wasn't big enough. He has a new appreciation of the, the scope and harmony of God's world, of which he is just a small part. Small but not insignificant. Just by looking at the ordinary things about us, the created world about us, he realizes that he cannot begin to imagine what it must be like for God to run everything, to know everything. And so he repents. He repents of questioning things that were beyond his ability to comprehend. Now, what's it? In the end, God states that he's angry with the three friends. In verse 7, I am angry with you and your two friends, he's telling Eliphaz, because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. And in fact, this is repeated in the very next verse as well. Now, Job, throughout this book, was a man of faith and believed in God and his absolute sovereignty. But as his condition became worse and prolonged, his faith was shaken at times and he lost perspective. And yet though he questioned, though he complained, though he accused God, he never cursed God outright. Remember that was the deal Satan had. Let me do this and eventually he'll curse you. And although Job came close, (laughs) um, he never did. In that fact, Satan was defeated. Job's faith triumphed over Satan. And that's about, could it also be that his, his, uh, his attitude being right and even his repentance in 42, was also right before God um, because he says, we have not spoken of me, but is right as my servant Job has. Like did Job's repentance uh, in God's eyes, um, almost like a forgiveness. He didn't sin, but almost like a forgiveness of because you were repentful, uh, because you came to me with the right attitude, the right heart. I wash away all that you had said in those previous chapters? 
You know, God never, God, God, in this last chapter, God says a couple of times that what Job said was right, which kind of surprises us because Job has been bellyaching this whole, this whole book. And he said some very strong things. All right. But Job's repentance, I believe, stems from his ignorance. Mm. Okay. Okay. Not a willful sin, but out of his ignorance. And God has just illuminated. He has broadened the boundaries of Job's knowledge as to who he was. And he repents now that he knows that he even said those things. And it seems to me, Pastor Bob, he, he ends off where he kind of started off from in dust and ashes. He, he, he did that right at the beginning of his um, affliction. Oh, Job. Yeah. If I remember correctly. Yes. After he was afflicted, he, he sat and it's called on, on he dust. He said, I must have did something wrong, right? <clears throat> right. And, um, it's a symbol of, of, uh, of sorrow and, and, uh, great distress. Um, but remember, remember Job's faith through this. Okay. Remember Job, Job is like, like so many of us. He's on that roller coaster, right? And we've all been on that roller coaster. We, we, you know, we have those, those wonderful times of, uh, devotion with God and, uh, you know, illumination of some scriptural truth. And we're up here and we're like, wow, this is great, you know, and, uh, it's a real spiritual blessing. But then we've also been down here. Things happen in our life and it drags us down. All right. Um, we can't explain something. Uh, tragedy happens and, and our faith is tested and shaken. And we begin to question, we begin to question uh, a lot about what's happening to us and where is God and does God love us? And uh, then uh, uh, hopefully, uh, prayerfully, uh, as we seek God's face, we begin to rise up again. And, and God reminds us of things. He reminds us of the cross and the empty tomb and uh, all that he has done for us. And so Job is, we've seen Job uh, have this up and down. But Job... You know, certainly we hear it on the ups, was a man of faith. He never lost his faith. He questioned, you know, down here in the valleys, he questioned it, as every prophet in the Old Testament did one point or another, all right? But they held on to what they believed. Joe believed that he had a lawyer. Remember, he wanted a lawyer. Uh, I know my Redeemer liveth, a Redeemer who would advocate his case. Um, if not in this life, then the next. I know my Redeemer lives, my kinsman Redeemer, uh, who will step in for me and will uh, defend me and, and take up my case. And then after God speaks and Job, Job says he repents in dust and ashes. And again, it's, he's, we, don't, we don't hear that he's repenting of, of the sin that his friends accused him of. All right? Um, because it wasn't there. All right. Uh, chapter after chapter, Job said, I didn't do this. You tell me I did that. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I didn't do this. There was no one sin that would bring on such a calamity. All right. But again, what he's repenting of is his ignorance and charging God with things that he knew not of. And, you know, and we have to be honest. Leave it on. We have to be honest. God never tells Job why this happened. We know why it's happened because we read the first two two chapters, <laughs> but Job was not privy to that. All right. So Job never gets an answer to why. What he gets an answer to is who. I am God. Pastor Bob, he yes. says that, that he saw God. You believe that he physically, he saw God? No. Oh, you don't think? Okay. No. Uh, other scriptures say no man can see God and live. God is invisible. He's a spirit. Okay. When the scriptures use this about seeing God face to face or eye to eye, okay, it's talking about an intimacy of, of, of relationship. All right. That was before it was less. I've heard you. But now I see you. So the intimacy has deepened. You know, I knew something about you, but now I see you. I see what you're trying to tell me. 
All right, so yes, it's not a physical scene. <clears throat> uh, surely I spoke of things I do not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Aren't you glad that God is running the universe? <laughs> now, how many of you, you know, when you when you're driving in traffic and and somebody does real something really stupid and cuts you off, if you had that red button on your dashboard, how many of you would hit that guy and like to disappear? He's gone. All right, he's stupid. He doesn't deserve to be here, right? Uh, you know, we are creatures that act out of emotions and. And, and things along that nature. And we look at our world and we say, oh, that's terrible. Let me hit that button. And, uh, it, but it's all based upon our desires, our opinions, our wants. And, and we don't know anything compared to God. And this, uh, this deepening of relationship that we have, I just mentioned to Phil, all right, uh, being able to spiritually perceive things in a deeper sense. This is a little bit like I think what Paul writes in Ephesians 1.18. He writes there, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The eyes of the heart. It's not physical, it's spiritual. And then the book ends with Job being blessed for his perseverance with double what he lost regarding his livestock, his ten children, seven sons, and three daughters to replace those who were lost. And these are, are gifts of grace to him. What is kind of unusual and interesting is the emphasis upon the, the beauty of his daughters and their receiving an inheritance, which is unusual as the Old Testament uh, does not require an inheritance to daughters. Pastor Bob, real quick, I don't, just to jump back for just a second, also in verse 10, and it said, the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Like, was there an aspect here where, you know, God previously tells his friends that they're in deep weeds and they need to do something uh, to repent of it? And then it, it indicates here that Job prayed for his friends, uh, and then he received that twice, twice the amount. Any link there at all in that? Uh, I don't think so. I think he's, yeah, I think it's just a, uh, after the fact, after he had finished uh, kind of praying for his friends, kind of closes off that whole chapter. Okay. All right. And then God blesses him. <clears throat> okay. So he didn't hold any, he doesn't hold any animosity towards his friends though. It never says that. Right. Yeah, yeah. Although I don't know, after uh, 42 chapters of listening to them, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know if he's going to invite them over for tea or anything like that. Well, the reason I mention it is because it seems like even in these later chapters, you really see Job's character as a righteous man before God and in repentance and not holding a grudge against those who gave bad counsel and praying for others. You just see a lot of godly character in Job. That's all, that's all I yeah, want. I think you're right, right John, because, uh, you know, he had every right to be very angry, and he was angry at times with his friends as we read the dialogue. And yet, uh, yet he was friends enough still that he made sacrifice for them and he prayed for them. All right. Which is a lesson to us, you know, you know about loving enemies. <laughs> All right. That's it. Good. And then, uh, the last, uh, Last verse closes the book with his quiet death. And so he died, old and full of years. The question of why was never answered. But the question of who was. And perspective is important. 
Our decisions and how we live our lives are, are based on, on how we see things. And in that sense, perspective is almost as important as the reality itself. <clears throat> One author uh, wrote this, Our lives are much like rivers. They seldom go in a straight line for very long. We adapt to the ongoing changes in our life circumstances, some of which come at us suddenly and others very gradually. When we look at our lives from the vantage point of truths of Isaiah 55 and Romans 8.28, they begin to mesh. When times are hard, we immediately want to know why, so that we can make sense of our circumstances and move on. Yet God sees from a far more distant horizon called eternity. Our lives are a beautiful pattern of journeying with God. Nothing is wasted. Nothing is unimportant to God. But quick explanations of what we're going through will always be inadequate to the larger spiritual meaning of our journey. God is charting a new course, creating something original with our lives, something of eternal significance, which will only be apparent to us at the end. A person's worldview, their perspective will shape the meaning of suffering and a painful experience. Remember, God knows the pain and suffering of this world because he came into this world to endure such pain in order to rescue and restore, if not in this life, certainly in the next. In Isaiah 55, 8 through 11, it reminds us, God saying, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than yours. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. That's talking about his sovereignty. Pastor Bob? Yes, Annette. You know, while you were speaking, Speaking about all that while you were um, reading it, I was thinking to myself, what does it take to be Job, um, you know, <clears throat> practically? And uh, it seems to me you really have to know God and before you can trust him. Um, in other words, when challenges come, the only reason why we fall apart is because we're not so connected to him at that time, you know? So I think that the more we learn, the more we read scripture, the more we do things like this, the more we get to know his personality, his character, um, all his traits, you know, as, as a person, as a, as a God person, (laughs) I don't know how you would explain that, but without that, in other words, you could not trust and, and be that faithful. I don't think. Do you you agree? I agree a hundred percent. You, you know, the more we know God, uh, the better off we are in any circumstance. Yeah. And, and Annette, let me, let me be personal here. Okay. Um, I think you are a good example of what you just said. You know, you have gone, you've struggled with uh, cancer and illness. And yet when anybody talks to you, you have been so faithful and persevering in your walk with the Lord and holding God up high in all things, even when you admit you don't know why. Thank you. But you are you are there. You are holding on to him and you're directing others there. You talk to your doctors and your nurses about how the Lord's getting you through this. So I think that you know, Job may had it may have had it worse, but I think that you are a good example that all of us uh can can learn from. Thank you. 
And, you know, this is, this is, you know, we, we have to really believe that God is sovereign mm-hmm. to get through suffering and pain. You know, a uh, basic foundational fact is that of Romans 9, 20 and 21. Uh, but who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and for some for common use? You know, we we think we're hot stuff. You know, we think that God owes us explanations. And God's the potter, and he can look at that, and he says, this is no good, and toss it aside. And he can be charged with injustice. This is what sovereignty is. God is the potter, we are the clay. And even that thought challenges us, and it should make us hesitate as to asking the whys. When we start asking whys, it's often because we're losing perspective. Yep. Now, let me just add this. Sovereignty may sound cold and determinative, but we cannot forget everything else Scripture says about God. All right? God is love, is grace, is mercy his gentleness, and so forth, are never separated from that sovereignty. Mm -hmm. But it also brings us back to that place, how does he do that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But this is why the study of God is so beneficial. There is no study that is better to expand our minds, enlarge our heart, and bless our soul as the study of God as we find it in Scripture. Yep. It will strengthen our faith. You know, we need to know more about God than maybe just John 3.16. It's a good verse. <laughs> it's a great verse. <laughs> But we need to know as much as possible about God, mm-hmm. especially in those difficult times. Knowing more about God increases one's faith, deepens one con- one's uh, commitment, yep. and motivates us to endure as we immerse ourselves in studying the triune God. 1 Timothy 1.17, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Pastor, can I uh, just you interject can. here? You may. And this, is the, and this is one of the great paradoxes of Christian life and of God. And uh, John pointed this out in uh, the beginning of chapter 42. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. I don't, this, that's the, but yet God makes himself known. God reveals himself to us with his, with his attributes and his love and his word and his son and his creation. So we have, we, we even admit we have a relationship with God. We know this God, but we don't understand this God, especially this paradox of, Might and power, sovereignty, wisdom, omnipotence, omniscience, and creative power, but yet humble and meek and condescending to deal with us on a personal level when he could flick his finger and the entire cosmos would disappear. And Mm -hmm. uh, let's start all over and let's make a whole new big bang or something like that. And that's, you know, in our human thinking, we'd like talk about press the button on the guy who cut you off. Like, all right, get rid of that planet. You know, let's start all over again. Like God, I would not, I'm not a relatable God. Like if I was God, you wouldn't, I wouldn't have these attributes, but this is what we don't understand. And it's mysterious. It really is that God condescends, lowers himself to embrace us when he has absolutely no obligation to do so. In fact, 
what we do should appall him. It should, it should make him turn his face from us. And so it's, it's very paradoxical to me. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's that, it's that mis- both mystery and intimacy. Mm-hmm. All right. And both at the same time, <clears throat> God has not revealed everything about himself. You know, even in the, I think it's the last verse of the gospel of John. What does he say? He says something to the effect. Okay. Uh, uh, Jesus did more things uh, than I can possibly write about here, but these are written that you may believe. All right. So, so there are, you know, there's a host of other things and, and, and God is so vast, you know, it couldn't be contained uh, within a book, but he has revealed to us enough. And that even the enough is an immense ocean that we can spend our life swimming in and not plummet its depths. This is the God we serve. This is the sovereign almighty God that we serve. Yeah, I was going to say that, um, you know, he was blessed. Uh, What what does it say? Uh, So much more. He had so much more after he spoke to God than he had uh, after all the losses, before the losses. And, uh, you know, with all the livestock and the family, and they said that he saw his children and the children to the fourth generation. But I think more than that is the legacy that he's left behind. I mean, people, millions and millions of people, I think, referred to this book. Oh. And, right. And that's where they, they are encouraged to persevere um, and not to turn away. And as Annette said, to know God better. Because, you know, he's just such a, such, such an example for us. Um, and I think, you know, when he was going through that, he probably never knew that, you know, centuries and centuries later, we would be talking about him and, and, uh, and really getting comfort, I think, from this book. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when we absolutely. suffer, cause no one, I don't think anyone has suffered like him. And, uh, you know, people, when you think about your own suffering, you go back to what he went. I always think, oh, oh no, but look what Joe went through. You know, but, um, I mean, James, James quotes him, right? James uh, mentions him in in his epistle. And and going back to a little bit what Sal said, remember, if Job is the oldest New Testament book, okay, um, he doesn't have the benefit of everything else in the book. Hmm. All right. That's why I think so much of this is about creation because God is revealing himself in the created order to Job. Because that's his textbook. All right. Um, so talk about revelation. Job had, had only that revelation where actually we have more revelation because we have the, the, the entire Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Um, so we have everything that is necessary for living godly lives. Um, and yet Job, uh, was, you know, proved to be, uh, as, as Anna said, uh, a witness and a, a testimony. Uh, throughout the centuries of uh, faithfulness under under duress. All right, here's what we're going to do uh, as time runs out here. Um, now, I've gone through this whole book. It's kind of a broad stroke. All right, um, give you the, the kind of the, uh, the big picture. For the rest of uh, probably the rest of July, uh, next couple of Thursdays, Okay, John is going to take over, and he's going to go back and, and do a little fine painting. All right, he's going to do a little uh, uh, fine uh, painting here, point out some some other things, hone in on some uh, things that are special to him. So we'll continue uh, in Job uh, through at least through probably through July, at least two weeks, maybe three. Uh, but here. I want to give you three uh, three questions that maybe John, you, we can start off next week with. You got a, uh, 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 something to write with? We got a pad. Probably should have sent this to Pete. He could have shared it on the screen, I guess. But I don't know how to do that, so you're, <laughs> you're out of luck. <laughs> Papers over there. Oh. The very frustrating thing. These computers. <laughs> And maybe next week, John, you just kick it off with this and then just go wherever you want to go. All right. Everybody's got something? Here we go. 
question number one. What do you understand by the providence of God? What do you understand by the providence of God? Two. What are the implications of God's sovereignty for you? What are the implications of God's sovereignty for you? And then third, what does it profit us to know that God created and by his providence upholds all things? What does it profit us? To know that God created and by his providence upholds all things. A couple of questions to stimulate your thinking as you prepare for next Thursday. And uh, John will take over. Can somebody email those questions uh, maybe to the class uh, as well as to the teacher? Um, yes, I, I'm going to send them. <laughs> I'll send them to Pete. Maybe, or uh, Who's running this? This is Amanda's. Amanda. Amanda's running it, but I, I have the questions, and I can send them out. Okay, okay. thank you. Thanks. Listen, let me just say that my, my other focus will really be uh, God God's interaction, meaning 38, 39, 40, and 41. That's what, I, that's what I'll be focusing upon. But we'll answer these questions, too. Yeah, okay, sounds good, John. Any right. other final comments or questions? <clears throat> You know, Pastor Bob, one thing I, I couldn't resist doing is to compare chapter 42 to chapter 1 as far as what uh, Job's possessions were to kind of mm-hmm. see where did he land, you know, after this was all over. And um, <clears throat> he did have the same number of children. He was given, um, uh, was it seven sons and three daughters, right. which he had before and now he has after. But all, all his possessions were doubled. So God... Um, Gave him the same number of children and, um, but yet doubled all his possessions. So it was, uh, talk about a blessing. What's interesting too is that, uh, in the difficult Hebrew, uh, that Job often has, uh, the number of sons at the end could be interpreted as 14. Oh. Doubled, doubled his sons. All right. Um, so, but it's a, again, it's a difficult, uh, thing and, uh, most scholars are not ready to go there, but it's a possibility. So. It's just kind of scary to me, too, in a way. I mean, this is uh, bothersome for me, in that in verse of chapter 42, uh, I guess it's about verse 11, it says, and they showed him, meaning his family, that came to uh, be with him after this was all over, his uh, sisters and brothers. They showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And that just really hurts to think that God brings evil upon his own. Well, I, yeah. Well, I don't know if I like that translation, Helen, to be honest. The evil, I, I don't know if it's evil. I think it might be adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Evil from a human standpoint, maybe? Right. I don't know. And about- NIV's just trouble. <laughs> the trouble. Yeah, whether it's translated evil or adversity or trouble, it, it basically it's it's not uh, like we think of knee-jerk reaction evil. Yeah. All right. Um, you know, elsewhere in scripture it says, "Shall not uh, shall we accept uh, good and not evil from God?" Okay, which means trouble. So okay. It's not like satanic evil. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. Well, folks, thank you so much for uh, being in attendance. And like I say, we're going to be continuing uh meet on Thursday evenings. So uh, please uh, continue to join us. Um, and uh, I'm going to ask maybe Sal, will you close us out in prayer? Absolutely. Let's pray. Lord, we just so want to thank you for your word and for this book of Job. As Anna said, Lord, we are learning so much from this interaction between you and Satan and Job and the friends and Father, just teach us a lesson. And if we learn nothing else, Lord, we we learn that we don't understand everything about you. You are mysterious, but are truly a loving, powerful God who cares about your children. 
in ways that we will really never understand. So we just so thank you for that. Give us more trust. Give us more, more, um, faith so that we can just serve you even better. We, we thank you for this time. We pray, praise you. Look forward to weeks to come, Lord. It's a great time put, putting aside uh, our daily stuff and getting into your word. And we just thank you for that. We thank you for pastor. And we ask you to give him a safe travel, Lord, too, as he uh, drives and uh, loads and unloads. And please give him safety. Please give him, uh, take care of him and Helen and the entire family. We just pray. We do thank you for this time once again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Bob. Okay, have a good night.